You know, if, uh, <clears throat> if you entered into his prayer, our lives would be different and disrupted. And that's a good thing, by the way. It challenges us because it gets us outside of our self and focuses us on, on the king. I really appreciate those songs, Eric, that you chose for the worship today. What was that new one called? Living for Your Glory or something like that? Live for Your Glory? Wow. That's really profound. See, we're not supposed to live from our, or for our glory. We're supposed to live for His. Right? We're talking about pride right now. We're in 1 Corinthians 5 through 9, and the overall broad topic here is the problem of pride. So really, what is pride? I mean, I'll tell you what, pride does not seek God's glory. It seeks its own glory. Right? It's not concerned so much for the things of God and the things that God is concerned for, but it is concerned with self, what self wants. Pride is, can be rather insidious and this whole spectrum of the self-life is pretty broad and it's got, you know, things on each side of the spectrum. So if we're going to deal with this thing called pride, we have to learn to do things God, God's way. And God's way is going to confront and challenge everything about the way the world does things. Everything. Because I'm not number one. I don't get to do it my way. <laughs> I did it my way, right? No. Totally the opposite message of what Christ brings in the gospel. I don't do it my way. I do it his way. I don't live for my glory, for my desires, for my wants, for my sense of significance and importance. I live for His. Oh, folks, we live in a kingdom, the, the center and focus of which is a huge paradigm shift from what we experience in the world. Now, this thing called self is rather insidious because, as you see in the garden, when Adam and Eve first uh, followed a lie and rejected God's way, the first thing that was born was an insecurity. The self-life births forth an insecurity. Why? Because all of a sudden they were alone. Instead of connected to the purpose of God and getting their value and their worth from their relationship with God and each other, they are now alone, finding it independent. And their first instinct from that was insecurity, was self-consciousness to hide from God. And then from that place to justify self by pointing the finger at others. Folks, that describes our world. It describes everything about the way the world works. It's rooted in a system that is centered around self. 
Now, some have been able to, within themselves, find their own value and worth and importance, maybe because of the kudos of others, maybe because they're successful at something, and this thing called pride can creep in there. They actually believe, if, if pride takes over, it's a person actually believes that they are something, independent of God, of course. Their value and their worth is tied up in what they can achieve, what they can accomplish. That other song we sang, Be Thou Our Vision, has a great, great verse, line in it, or um, riches, nor something I... Man's empty praise, that was it. Riches or... Oh, man's empty praise, yeah. Man's empty praise. How many people are fueled in their self-life from the kudos and praise of others? Hollywood is covered with that stuff, right? So that's what happens when pride gets in. Pride actually is a self-focus that really thinks that we are all that. They're, they're both, whether you're in insecurity or whether you're in pride, they're, they're both opposite sides of the same coin called self because they're not rooted in and established in a sense of identity connected to God. They're rooted in trying to get a sense of identity independent of God. If you're in insecurity, you're, you're often trying to find out who you are. Often trying to find out who you are in and of yourself, not recognizing that your value and your worth, your identity comes from connection to Him. So when we look at self, it's a little bit more broad, broad than pride itself. Pride is on that, you know, and you see, even within pride, okay, I, I don't want to do that because I'm, I'm too proud. I'm not going to humiliate myself. Maybe you've been there. Um, and this isn't to guilt anybody, but I don't want to raise my hands in church because that looks weird and I don't want people to think weird of me. Okay, there, there's subtle ways in which we protect ourselves. We're self-protective because we haven't been rooted and grounded in an identity that's connected to God. Remember David when the ark was brought in uh, to the, the city from the place, I think it was somebody had it stored for a while or can't remember the details that he went out there in his loincloth and was dancing before the ark and his wife at the time was thinking, wow, how can he do that? He's the king. He should be proud of himself and not humiliate himself. But David was getting his identity not from men. He was getting his identity from God. If we are rooted in a proper identity of God. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Christ can do through us. Right? I mean, I can be the worst of sinners on my own, independent of God. I'm capable of great evil, as so are you. Right? We're all made of the same stuff, right? 
<laughs> None of us are unique here. But for the grace of God, there go I, is the old statement, right? Apart from him, I can do nothing. But I can do all things through and in Christ who strengthens me. It's a matter of who's doing the work. Is it me on my own or is it me in partnership and cooperation with God that he may be glorified, not me? So in 1 Corinthians, where we've been in chapter 5 and Brad talked about the sexual sin that took place there, and in fact, the, the broader context here deals with other sexual things too. But in the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians 6, where, where I'm moving to today, he starts talking about litigation and lawsuits between believers. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 11. Sherry? When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yeah. Um, just some interesting things about the law back in those days. Actually, the Jewish Mosaic law had um, a lot of details in terms of what the Lord had revealed about right and wrong. But we're dealing with uh, cultures now that are uh, in the Greek world, and they had different standards. For one thing, when they went to court uh, in that time, it was in public. If there was a lawsuit, it was, it was generally sued like open. Now think about those court TV shows that everybody tunes into, but now it's live. So anybody in the open square can come and, and hear your business. Uh, so this is one of the areas that Paul is challenging in terms of, okay, you're bringing your disputes but, uh, to, to men uh, who are unrighteous or do not know the, the Lord. In other words, not properly aligned with the Lord, but also because it's a very public thing. Um, they did not have a system of justice that was quite the way 
uh, ours is these days. Of course, our, our laws are rooted somewhat in, in Roman and Greek law, uh, but they didn't make this firm distinction between like criminal and civil law. Uh, you know, th think about it, when you're talking about uh, criminal law, you generally they're talking about punishment. When you're talking about civil law, you're talking more about restitution. And in most cases, uh, in, the, in the ancient past, it was about restitution, although there was punishment as well. Uh, Jesus talked about that when he said, okay, if, if you owe this amount of money and, and you know, the, the whole story about the, the uh, man who was forgiven a great deal and he was not unable to pay and he was forgiven and then he went and shook down a, somebody who owed him some money, uh, far less, and uh, the, the, first, uh, the landowner, the first person, heard about it and rebuked him and threw him in prison and he said he's going to stay there until he pays every penny back. Well, that's punishment towards restitution, but be pretty hard to earn a lot of money while you're in prison. So we had to think in terms of God's, God's heart is really towards restitution and reformation. It's not simply about punishment. It's about redeeming. And that should be our attitude in the church as well. But you see, they were bumping up against some things in the culture, and it really ties in with what I was just speaking about, the self-life and pride. You see... In, in those environments, if self is on the throne, my first point really is that disputes among believers just shows a self-centered perspective or focus in life. It really is about me and it's about my rights and I'm entitled to this. Or if somebody wrongs somebody, the, the party that's offended wants justice. And that's a natural thing for us to want justice if we've been wronged. Um, but the fact that they were even already involved in a dispute tells you that they weren't serving one another. In other words, they weren't doing things God's way. They were doing things from a human perspective. Look in the broader perspective of 1 Corinthians. We talked about this some time ago. Uh, there was all these divisions going on and there's these factions of people. I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas or, you know, Peter. So, these factions now are indications that they were natural men or carnal men, thinking like mere human beings and not thinking by the Spirit with the mind of Christ and according to God's way. Well, that's now spilling over in this context into the lives of individuals who apparently are suing one another when they feel like they, they're owed something or jilted or whatever else. It's a very self-centered perspective. And so Paul is really challenging this, uh, this attitude of division now that has gone down to the individual level in terms of their interactions with one another. There's a whole litany in the end of that uh, verses 9 through 11 or so that, that talk about all these different types of sins that a person could, could be involved with. And Paul says, if we can get that up, the last part of that uh, 1 through 11 series, he really says at, at the end of that, I tell you the truth that those who engage in these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says something very similar in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, you remember that at 22 we're talking about, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, temperance, faith, etc. That actually follows what Paul describes as the works of the flesh. So let's quickly hear what it says in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's a little bit broader list, but it's still dealing with these works of the flesh or these things of the self-life where we have not been sanctified, not been set apart, not, not living according to the Spirit and the truth of God's Word, living according to natural ways of thinking and the impulses of the flesh. Paul is putting his finger on it again, and he says the same thing here in Galatians. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you know, there's a lot of theology maybe wrapped around that, and I don't intend to go into whether these people are saved or not. Uh, but the, the point is there's a warning here to us. If we are Christ's, then increasingly so our lives will look like the image of God. And if it fails to look like the image of God, maybe we're not Christ's, even though we think we are. There is a caution there. There is a caution. Brother goes to, against brother, and that between unbelievers in front of unbelievers, those who aren't rightly aligned with Christ, those who evaluate things based on the world and its systems rather than according to Christ. Paul says it's better, the second point here, it's better for a believer to allow themselves to be wronged than to demand their own rights in this situation. Who's he appealing to here? The perpetrator or the victim? The victim. Ooh, that rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? Oh, yes it does. And it rubs me the wrong way because what happens when somebody wrongs you? You want to get even or you want to settle things. I've done it, I know. So have you. But that's not God's way. And it's not supposed to be our way. If we're living by the wisdom of the world, which Paul confronted earlier in 1 Corinthians, carnally, naturally thinking rather than spiritual men, people, then that's the way we're going to respond when something comes our way and we feel like our rights have been violated. I talked about that a few weeks ago when I preached the message on winning and losing. Right? We're preoccupied with winning our disputes. Pride has to win. Pride will not accept defeat. It certainly won't step into it and lay down its rights. 
that we're called to a different way of being. Jesus talked about that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Let's hear what, the, what he says here. You have heard, it, heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, a paradigm shift, a different way of thinking, a way that puts relationship with others and honor and respect for our God in the forefront not demanding our own rights, not demanding our own way. Where are we at in this? I think each of us need to consider that and ask that question regularly because the self-life will come up, it will stick out its head and say, me, 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 me. Put to death the works of the flesh, Scripture tells us. Put to death. James tells us that we fight and we bicker among us ourselves and we, we can't resolve things. We ask of God and we, we, uh, we don't get what we ask because we ask for wrong motives. We ask so that we can consume it upon our own flesh. He's talking about carnal ways of thinking and being. Rooted in self a perspective where I'm going to protect my life, my rights, my stuff at all costs. But that's not God's way. We do want to walk in transformation. Our goal is, as we sang today, to glorify our God, to live for His glory which means to live for his kingdom, which means to live according to his ways. Because if we just sing a song to give glory to God and then live our own way, our lives demonstrate that we really are not living for his glory. We're living for ours. But you were washed, but you were sanctified. All of us have received from Christ the potential because of the cleansing work of the Spirit and the Word of God in our lives to walk like Jesus walked, with kingdom priorities and kingdom perspectives in everything we do. But there's a renewal of the mind that needs to take place. And it takes effort on our part. The strongholds of this world and its systems are rooted in all of us. And they need, need to be pulled out by the roots. Doesn't happen automatically. Living according to the Spirit is not an automatic response. 
It's a, it's a thing that we have to apprehend by faith and perseverance. We're not working for our salvation, but we do work out our salvation by continuing to reaffirm the things of God and the things of his kingdom and to challenge our own ways of thinking and being so that we have a proper perspective with which to approach God and each other, which to act according to his will and not our own. We're all in that process, somewhere along the way, being transformed. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it says in Romans. That means we need to spend time with him. We need to know his word. We need to know his will. We need to know his heart. The fact that there were believers already disputing among themselves over things, whatever they were suing each other about, I, I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but the fact that they were doing that was already to their shame. Now notice that Paul is not saying that um, all litigation is inappropriate. I think we need to look at the church as a mediator for us, okay? There are criminal offenses that if a brother commits against a brother, yeah, that probably does need to be brought to the attention of local authorities and there, there may have to be some accountability and punishment. But if it's just a, an offense between a brother and, and a brother or a sister and a sister, if you will, the church should be able to do that. Point number three, believers should be able to judge matters between believers. Believers should be able to judge between believers. But we are pretty quick to bring our case before the court system. If this is a believer and a believer and there's an offense, if there's, if there's a wrong, I mean, this doesn't even have to be a legal matter. This, this, pres, this um, precedent here, this, this perspective affects any type of offense. Somebody wounds you by a word. What does the scripture tell us to do with that? Go to one another and work it out. Own up to our peace. Be willing to forgive, let go. We should be able to work that out here in the church. We don't need to go out, out there into the world before a judge and or jury who don't know our king. And Paul's point is that we will judge the world we will even judge angels. Do we understand that our destiny is to rule and reign with Christ? To the extent we have been prepared in this life to live according to kingdom values and lay down our rights for the broader good, to that extent we will be entrusted with authority in the kingdom to come. See, God isn't looking for, for people that judge based on power over. He's looking for people who judge 
based on getting people under people and lifting them up. It's not a power over thing. He who is greatest in the kingdom of God will be the what of all? Servant of all. The good news is Jesus made a way for us to live with a kingdom perspective, focused on our, on our king and what he wishes to accomplish. We sang about it today in numerous songs. And thank you again, Eric. Good selection. But we have to be willing to lay down our life and to pick up the new life in Christ. And that means that we need to hold each other accountable for walking according to kingdom truths. That's not about going around nitpicking everybody to point out their sins and their flaws, by the way. But it is to encourage one another while it is still day. To remind each other of who we are in Christ instead of who we think we are in the world. His ways are not our ways. His ways are different than our ways. Jesus is our model. He laid down his life. We are asked to do the same thing. Paul says, I die daily. This sounds a little bit morbid, this whole thing about death. But really, it's about life on the other side of death. It's not about the death Sometimes we get fixated on the death, death to self, all this. It's alive to Christ is the point. You see, Jesus didn't just die, he rose. Amen? (laughs) He doesn't just have us identify with him in his death, he has us identify with him in his resurrection. That's life, that's power, that's freedom, that's the kingdom of God. So no, I'm not trying to fixate here on the death piece because the way is not to focus on the death. The way is to focus on the life he brings that he's already given us by his word, by his spirit, which he has given to us as a permanent inheritance in his kingdom. Let us experience what resurrection life is. Let us be the church, confront pride and insecurity by lifting people up, by showing them their worth and their value in Christ, not in themselves. Each of us has immeasurable value to our King. He created us with that. But that value is expressed in connection to him. Whenever we take this vessel of ours and we use it independent to find our identity, to get our life, it is shallow and empty and death. But he came to give us life and life abundantly. Pride or insecurity, the self-life, does not have to be the center of our being. Christ gives us a new identity, a new purpose, a new vision. 
as we continue to align with him in his purpose and who he says we are in him, we are people who live by and walk by the Spirit. We are people that pour into others the life of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we are in the same situation the Corinthians were. But we live in a culture that's preoccupied with the same values that they were caught up in. So let's let our living be consistent with what the Lord says. Let our identity come from Him. And that starts with a proper view of who He is. Because His perspective informs us who we are in relation to Him. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But connected to Him, His life flows through us. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Amen.